if you do not treat your rental properties like a business and have strict policies and procedures not only in place but followed, you will definitely fail. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. My mom always said it's rude to keep people waiting. Well, best ever listeners, that's exactly what you're doing if you're not funding your deals with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that matches up your deals with accredited and institutional investors who want to invest in your deal. Patch of Land literally has thousands of investors ready to fund your next deal. You don't want to keep them waiting, do you? And guess what? It's a lightning quick process too. In fact, the average patch of land loan closes in just seven days. Is a five to seven day close faster than how long it currently takes you to close on financing? And just think, wouldn't it be wonderful to have all of your financing needs taken care of for all of your deals? How many more deals could you close if you already knew where the money was coming from? With Patch of Land, you no longer have to worry about the financing part. They've got it taken care of for you. Go to Patch of Land and find out how to get your next deal funded by the thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Go to patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Steve Rosenberg. Hi, Steve. Hey, Joe. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Steve is joining us from Houston, Texas. He is a property manager at Empire Industries. He is a licensed real estate agent with over 13 years of owning and operating properties. He has flipped and negotiated hundreds of transactions and he's currently focused on single family homes and he's when when he's not doing that he is flying in the sky as an airline pilot so with that being said steve can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now sure sure so uh i got into investing basically because my career path as an airline uh, after 9-11 i realized it wasn't as secure as uh, as i had once thought it would be so what happened was is uh, i got learned about real estate and started wholesaling, uh, flipping properties, did that from about 2002 to 2006 and used that money to partner up and buy my first apartment complex. Um, we sold that with a business partner and we started buying single family properties. Uh, we basically bought so many properties so fast that we ended up being out of control. We were doing a lot of things wrong. We knew we were doing them wrong. And we realized that if we didn't put policies, procedures in place or hand it over to a management company, we'd probably be out of business very soon. Um, So basically, that's what started our property management company was really a a necessity for our own portfolio. You went from wholesaling to flipping to buying an apartment community. So uh, in my mind, I'm like going up a ladder for whatever reason, but that's just my mind. And then you liquidated that by selling the apartment community and then you went back to single family homes. Uh, interesting. What, what was the reason why you went from apartment to single families instead of trading the apartment community profits for something larger through, let's say, a 1031 exchange? Well, what we saw uh, in the, at the time that we were uh, owning the apartment and selling the apartment was a lot of people that were in apartment deals, maybe 30 to 50 partners together. 
Uh, they just were not gelling well. It didn't seem to work very well. Uh, my business partner and I got along very well. So we felt that if we could not be at least 50% capital uh, liquid into an apartment complex uh, and really knowing the partners that we were in with, we'd rather not just partner with someone. And uh, I had a buddy of mine, he had about 70 partners. And he said, it's like dating someone for five days, then you marry them and you find out that person's crazy and they're calling you at two in the morning. And of course he had a bad experience, but we kind of took that at the moment and said, you know, maybe we'll step back. We both had careers, we had jobs, so it wasn't a livelihood scenario. We just wanted this for the down the road and we knew houses, we, we understood them. We're both simple people. It was a simple process. And so we kind of stepped back a little bit and uh, we did take a couple of hits on the apartment complex when we owned it. Uh, things that, you know, we had some hurricanes come through, insurance rates go up quite a bit. Um, and we just realized if, if you don't have those deep pockets when you need them, it could, it could really hurt you. Uh, we, we saw that firsthand with some people that we knew and it just, it just probably scared us a little bit. 50, I want to make sure I heard you right. 50 to 70 partners. How, how is that even structured? What, is, what type of of business model or what type of group is it where there are that many people? Well, it was, he had about 1200 units total. And so he had about five different complexes. Um, so it wasn't all in one complex. So he had different groups of investors for different complexes. So it wasn't, they weren't all the same group, but it totaled about 70. Um, and even though they had the operating agreements, even though they had the expectations set, a lot of these people really didn't know much about real estate. This is about 2005, 2006. So a lot of people were getting out of the stock market. I think a lot of them, just their expectations were that it should perform maybe like a stock should. There's no cash call scenarios in their mind. There's no hurricanes that come through in their mind. So when that happens, everybody gets upset and everybody wants to blame the lead partner. And so we just saw this as, in our opinion, it just wasn't structured correctly. The, the partnership wasn't. Um, and it, it just was not very appealing just watching our friend go through this turmoil. So, uh, you know, I know it was a, a, a small view, but it, it was just our view of what we saw at the time. So, like I said, he and I found just a simple solution and said, you know what, let's step back. Um, at the time, houses were cash flowing better than apartments were and a lot less, obviously, capital to invest and start with. So we just kind of took a step back. We're not out of the apartment game. We just got out of it for now, basically. Let's talk about that simple solution. How do you underwrite the single family homes and what do you look for? What are some of the characteristics whenever you're, when you're acquiring one? Well, that's a good question. Um, I could tell you what you don't do because we did that originally. Um, sure. We, that's interesting. We bought yeah. a lot of low income properties that on paper were, you know, great cash flow, 60, 70% uh, cash on cash return properties. And they just seemed like they were, you know, too good to be true. And we figured why is no one else buying these? We should buy as many as we can. And we did. Uh, we bought about 30 of them in about two years time. And uh, what we realized was there's a reason a lot of people don't buy them. The Properties normally are very uh, high in maintenance because they're older properties. When I say older, here in Houston, you're talking something in the 40s uh, being built or 50s as opposed to something today's market. So what happened was is you're going to get a lot higher maintenance calls on the property. Um, what we found here is the tenant turnover for a property uh, lease-wise, the, the median rental range is about $1,200 a month. So you got to put that into perspective. So anything under about $900 requires almost double the staff time to manage that kind of property. Um, the, the tenants tend to live more of a month-to-month -month lifestyle. So 
they don't care if they leave. The average lease time was only eight months for our properties. And when they left, they would take parting wiring, (laughs) appliances, air conditioning units. So all the money that you thought you were going to be making on paper for that cash flow basically disappears and then some once that tenant vacates. And, you know, if you have one or two in your portfolio, that's not bad. When 70% of your portfolio is made up of those type of properties, you just, it just seems like every time you turn around, you've got tenants leaving. And if they don't take stuff, the neighbors come and they help themselves to, to a few items. So it, it just felt like we were, we were getting bombarded left and right. And we didn't have the policies and procedures in place to, to have the right structure. So kind of the, the opposite of that is what I would say you buy, um, you know, something that's built in the 2000s something that is in the median price range, which I would say is $1,200 to $1,700 a month. Um, and then you're going to get the better quality tenant. And, and that's kind of the sweet spot, at least in Houston, for the properties. And that's the bulk of what what my company manages now. When you're when you're managing, you, you'd mentioned the, you didn't have both, it's the nature of the type of resident who would be there and then also the type of property. Um, but you also said you didn't have the, the policies and procedures in, pra- in place. Could you apply those policies and procedures now that you know of and help make one of those types of properties run effectively or is it just kind of a, you know, that's what it is and you just got to go in expecting it? No, you can in about 15% of our portfolio. So we manage a little over 400 houses here in Houston. About 15% of our portfolio is of the, those properties still. Um, and so what we have found is you can, and, and, you know, we treat every tenant the same. You know, we, whether it's a $500 a month rental or a $5,000 a month, you know, we treat everybody the same. But with that, that's the good side. The bad side is, is we treat them the same when rent is due, rent is due. When rent is late, rent is late. We don't, we don't negotiate. We don't deal with them. We have policies and procedures in place. Because of that, you're going to have a higher turnover because they don't always comply with. And so when I have a lot of owners come to me that want us to take over their property, I really try to sit down and explain to them that we can do it. However, there is a very strong possibility that the tenant that's in there giving them problems is probably not going to be there in the next couple of months because they're not going to follow our rules. And that means they're not going to be there because we are going to get rid of them because we don't deviate from our plan. We, you know, just like in the airlines, when the flight leaves at 1050, the flight leaves at 1050. We don't, we don't say, well, he's in the parking lot and he's on his. So when the rent's due on the first, it's late on the third, eviction starts on the fourth and late fees start. And that's just how we run our business model. And I explained to the owners, when you have a low income property, you almost, if you want to curtail to that tenant, you may have to be a little bit more handholding with that tenant, which means you're going to have to do it yourself because most property management companies, if it's on a larger scale, cannot have the one-off and two-off um, you know, post-it note next to that person's name that they're a special case and they always pay late and you don't charge them fees. So to answer your question, yes, you can, but it's it's almost a detriment to the owner because we all know as investors the name of the game is cash flow return on your investment um you know so we don't want to evict that tenant and i feel like i'm sometimes almost doing an injustice to the tenant by or to the owner by taking on that property and not at least explaining to them that we are going to enforce these rules and we are going to do that but by the same token we're also going to protect them from getting sued for fair housing violations discrimination Texas property code. So we are protecting them, but it may not appear that way on the surface. Steve, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? 
Well, my advice would be that uh, if you do not treat your rental properties like a business and have strict policies and procedures not only in place but followed, you will definitely fail. Um, I always think investing is not a single person sport. It's a team sport. And if you don't learn how to leverage a team to the fullest extent, you will not be able to grow as exponentially as you possibly can. And I, I personally think anyone can buy a house on a great deal from a, a motivated seller. Uh, you can negotiate a discounted price to get the rehab done. But to me, the true test is actually seeing that investment give you a return on a monthly basis according to whatever plan you have predicated. And the best scenario I can give you, it's like buying a tree in a nursery, getting the best tree there, taking it home, planting it, and then never watering it. And then when it dies and never gives you any fruit, you don't know what happened. And it's because you didn't have a plan to continue to nurture and grow that tree. What's one way that you've uh, identified that could help investors with that plan? What do they need to do? Well, I think, you know, uh, number one, listening to podcasts like this, going out and meeting people that are more successful than they are. Uh, I think a lot of people are always willing to share information if they feel it's being put to good use. Uh, I mean, I know I've talked to many, many people that want advice from me and I don't necessarily need to get anything out of it. And I get stuff out of talking to them. So I think just hanging out with like-minded people um, is, is a huge differentiator of people that want to succeed and people that don't. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am ready. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Don't you deserve to have all your deals funded in lightning quick speed? I agree. That's why I've partnered up with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, to bring you the best crowdfunding crash course ever, where you get all the info you need to know about crowdfunding so that you can close more deals. Tune in every Sunday this February and you'll be treated to the best crowdfunding crash course ever. All right, Steve, best ever book you've read? Vince Flynn, Consent to Kill. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? Uh, realizing that as my company has grown, it's been very hard to realize that something I thought was the best at what I was doing and was part of my identity uh, is not really it. And there's people that I've learned to delegate things to that can actually do things better than I can. Best ever success habit you practice? I would say doing the 20 mile march every day, being a grinder. And uh, I do what basically other people are too lazy to do. And I'm consistent every single day at it. Did you just say you march 20 miles a day? Well, it's called the 20 mile march. That, that's a that's a term that you do the same. It's a metaphor? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Best ever deal you've done? Uh, inside of 30 days, I wholesaled a, a property with $1 option and made $35,000 off it. Can you explain how that happened? Uh, yeah, we uh, we had an option on a property and uh, we had a $1 option fee and we found a buyer and had a $35,000 profit on it. How'd you find the property in the first place? Uh, this was back, uh, geez, this was back in 03, I'm going to say. So there was in Houston, there was a lot of people that were having a hard time selling properties. Uh, and we kind of being an airline pilot, I was able to travel a lot and make connections outside of the state and outside of the country. And there was a lot of investors that were interested in these deals because they were so cheap. So we had already had a lot of networking going on with investors in California and other states. So we had some investors already interested in the properties before we even found them, as long as the numbers made sense. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? 
I would say that would be growing my property management company. Uh, we're on track to be a multi-million dollar company and uh, we're looking to expand all over the state of Texas. And it's truly an investor's uh, property management company. Best ever quote. If you live every day like it's going to be your last, one day you will most certainly be right. Who said that? I, I remember that quote. I love it. I do not know. Uh, I heard it and I love it. And I do not know who it was. It was a, a mixture of quotes. So I, I cannot tell you. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Well, just kind of touching back on everything else. I've purchased over 30 houses inside of two years with no type of business plan and no structure to succeed. And uh, I was thinking that I could use the cash flow from the properties to rehab them um, and deal with any maintenance issues. And that was a, a colossal mistake. What's the best ever place to reach you? <clears throat> you can reach me uh, via email, steve at empireindustriesllc.com, or you can go to our website at empireindustriesllc.com. Steve, thank you for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners. I think with that last comment that you made about business plan and structure, I think that's what the focus of this conversation was all about. Um, and some of the takeaways that I got from our conversation was, you know, with uh, the things we don't want to do, and that is with the uh, the low income properties approaching, going in thinking it's going to be high cash flow. Certainly people make money off of low income properties, but there needs to be a business plan and process in place and the expectations need to be set so that the cash flow probably isn't what initially it appears to be um, when you run the numbers if you're not running them uh, with someone who has seasoned experience managing those types of properties. And then also, you know, how to treat real estate like a business. And as you said, I mean, buying a whole lot of properties initially um, and not having a business plan in place and then needing to quickly make sure you put that plan in place or else you're going to lose those things. And so you truly are, um, you know, living and breathing this and uh, speaking from a point of experience. So thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your advice. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Hey, you best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever. 